studied over the last several weeks on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And in our first study, we looked at a framework for prayer, and I'll just kind of give you a quick review as we're thinking about that. Paul began by celebrating the evidence of grace. Like he, he uh, looked out at the church and he saw their faith growing, their love expanding, and their perseverance under trial. And, and he loved to see that. That was something he, tr- he truly enjoyed to observe in the life of the people. He thanked God for that. He also did something else. As he was doing that and saying, I'm thankful for what God has done. He also reminded them that one day they'd be vindicated. Some Christians around the world, as Mike said, suffer greatly. And it was a reminder to them that one day Christ would return with His angels and He would bring them under His care and He would bless them and He would encourage their heart and He would take care of them throughout eternity and He would crush all of their enemies. That's kind of a framework that when you look at the whole of of Christianity, we say, how do we live in the present and what do we await in our future? Both of those things are extremely helpful. In our second study of, of in 2 Thessalonians, we noted this, that Paul prayed that they would be, um, honestly, that they would be worthy of their salvation, that they would walk worthy of the grace of God that had been extended to them in Christ Jesus who gave His life for them. He also prayed that as they thought about life and they began to say, okay, how would I live most of God's glory? Whatever those things were that were prompted goals that that the Lord prompted their hearts to do, that they would be able to do them and do them well. And they would do it ultimately to glorify Jesus. So the first two studies were kind of focused around that. Our third study, we see Paul's passionate prayer for the people. And just a couple of things that came out of that study He prays that they they would be strengthened in their faith, that He would be able to do that for them. He would help them be strengthened in faith. He prays that they would continue to love one another. And the third thing He kind of desires to do, and I think it's important just to say this, is that they would be transformed by the Gospel. That as they hear and understand and grasp that, that, that they would be so transformed that they would be holy and blameless when Jesus returned. He wanted them to be thinking about the future and living in light of the end, that their lives would be honoring to God. So we look at all that and say, okay, some of those things, those themes seem to come up over and over and over again. This morning as we're doing our study, we're in Colossians chapter 1, and he prays that God would fill the believers with the knowledge of His will. Why? Why? So that they would be pleasing to the Lord, utterly pleasing to the Lord Jesus, he says. And then he describes in this prayer what he's praying. What does it look like to be pleasing to God? What would that look like? And he kind of lays that out. So the goal today is to say, okay, we're going to try to understand what does it mean to pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you would be pleasing to the Lord and what would that look like in your life? Sometimes people say that to me and I don't know how many times someone has said to me, okay, Jared, what does that mean? What does it mean to live the Christian life? Well, certainly, we're going to hit on many of those aspects this morning, and you can be praying that these things would be true of you, that would be true of one another here, and it would be true of believers that we hear about as this morning. We know that there are believers all over the world trying to do the same things that we're doing, and we're praying that that would be true of them. So if you would just bow with me, and let's pray together as we begin. Father, I ask this morning that You would give us a deeper awareness of our need for You. I pray that we would covet the times that we are able to gather before Your throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would understand 
what it means to be filled with the knowledge of your will so that we would be pleasing to you. I pray, Father, that we would we would ask that of you in our own lives, that we would ask that for others around us here, that we would long to see that around our world, that that believers would live in a manner worthy of King Jesus who gave his life for us. God, I pray if this morning our hearts have grown dull, that you would warm them around what you have done for us and provided us. Give us courageous hearts to believe your word and be prompted by the power of the Spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the, of the King who died for us. In Christ's name, amen. As we start this morning, we're going to look at verse 9, and it says, And so, from this day forward, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We Mike mentioned this early, but earlier, but Paul did not. Paul didn't go to this place personally. There, there was a guy you'll see in verses three through eight. Actually, in verse seven, he talks of a, a guy named Epaphras who went to this church. He went to the the town, the city, and and he went in there and he proclaimed the gospel. These people believed the gospel, and as a result of that, this church is formed. And Paul begins to hear about that. And as he hears about what's going on there, he writes to them, and he's 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 doing that, and it shows his heart for them. It's a very powerful thing. He's kind of maybe like a grandfather to them. One of the things that hit me this week just personally is just kind of the question of are we praying for other people? Are we praying for other churches? I I was thinking about just even in our city, do you actually want the other churches in this city to excel? Do you want to see them do well? Do you want to to see them grow in godliness? Sometimes you you, you would think we're in competition. And that's a danger. All of us struggle with that because we know that in the world, if, if you have a place of business and someone else has a place of business, you're trying to find a way to get an edge and beat them out. Everything in our world is about a competition about who could win. But what we see, I think, in Paul, he did not know them. He had no, it was not going to build Paul's name to see that church grow. He, he really just he longed to see that. He wanted to see that around the world. Anywhere maybe he would have heard of a church, anytime he would hear of them, he would pray for them and long to see good things take place. So I think the first thing we just kind of think about that is that something we long to see. Do we want to see healthy churches around this country? Do we want to see them in our city? Do we long to see God move in such a mighty way that He begins to just, just work so mightily among all of the people here that are believers in Christ. I think that's something we should see in this and understand it. We need to grow in our ability to be a selfless church and selfless Christians. Sometimes you think, how much do you pray for others? And we see this not only for individuals, but for whole churches. The second thing you see is Paul prays unceasingly, you might say. In this verse 9, he says, we do not cease to pray for him. Now, you know that Paul spent time in prison. You know Paul made tents to kind of make his living. We know that Paul did a lot of preaching and teaching. We know he shared the gospel. We know that this guy was extremely busy. He wrote letters and corresponded with churches and with pastors and with all kinds of things. So we know that he was not just unceasingly sitting in his little prayer closet all the time. I think the idea here is maybe twofold when you think about that. One is this, that Paul had regular times that he would pray for the churches. That would be something you would see here. 
But not only that, maybe like when he told the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. He was in a constant state of, maybe as you go through life, you think of things that you should pray for, and these churches were on his heart, and so as he walked throughout life, he's praying that God would do that. And I think that's an important thing. Both of those should be true of us. The third thing you kind of see in here, and I, I think it's important to note, but so I want you to look at verse 3. We'll just kind of glance at this, and I want you to see how what Paul thanks God for is also the thing that he prays for. So he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day that you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. So here's the thing. Look at verse 9. And so from the day, this day forward, he, see, he has not ceased praying for them. They'd be filled with the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God that they're filled with? It's certainly their growing faith, their growing love for one another, their perseverance under trial. He is really this idea that his thanksgiving, Paul says, I'm so thankful for what I see in their life. Now I want to see that present in every aspect of their life. And I think that's extremely important. Now, I thought about an example of that. I don't know if any of you have ever played baseball or softball, but in, when you're learning how to bat, for instance, one of the things that's important is you have to learn mechanics. So you learn how to like put your hands together a certain way so that your wrists kind of move more fluidly. You learn something about how to read pitches. You learn about how to get your stance together. All of those things are kind of part of that. There's so many things about learning even like how to use your legs to get more power when you swing the bat. All of these things that are mechanics there. Now, it's something that you could always grow in. So Paul could say, I see the evidence of God's grace and now I want that to be in more, more fully seen. It's almost like saying, I see someone, I see, man, they're learning the mechanics. Now they need to grow in that and perfect that and move forward in that. That may be an example for you. In the Christian life, that's kind of how we do. We see the evidence of what's taking place, and we long to see more of that. And so I just, I just say that just for you to think about. Now, another point in that is this. Sometimes when you sit down in a group of people and you say it's time to pray, the first question that's asked is, does anybody have a prayer request? That's the first question. And, and, people, and, and that's not a bad question, but the problem is, is sometimes if you don't have a prayer request, you don't get prayed for, Right? But Paul's, it's not how he thinks here. That is not the first question. There are things that all believers need to have prayed for them all the time. There's not a day that goes by that I could not pray that you would be more filled with the knowledge of God. It's, it's not, I don't always have to have something that you tell me specifically, but honestly, as I get closer to you, I may understand more clearly how you might need to be filled with the, uh, the knowledge of God. And so I just think it's important that as we pray for one another, it's not always in crisis mode. I'm not always saying I'll start praying for them when something really, really bad goes wrong. That's not what's true going on here. There are certainly struggles going on within the church here, but also there's things that Paul would just pray over and over, and we need to learn how to pray like that. Okay, so I just think it's important that we see now. Let's get into the prayer and kind of start unpacking what's taking place. As we look at this in verse nine, he prays that they would, the believers would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, what is that? 
I mean, this is such an important truth. We put some of that in the study guide this week. It is so important to understand this. Because sometimes I think what we think about when we think about prayer and we think about the knowledge of God's will, we're talking about should I take this job? Should I buy this house? Should I marry this person? Should we have kids right now? Should we wait? Should we do this? Should we do that? And we're saying like, God, what is Your will in all of these things? And sometimes it becomes very, very selfish. It just naturally lends that way. And sometimes even when you you just say, man, I, I need to understand that when we talk about the will of God, there is certain, there are so many things unpacked in Scripture about the will of God. And, and certainly we do want to pray, God, give us wisdom in this moment about this decision. But ultimately, I think what's talking about here is the Lord's will is primarily spoken of here as the Word of God. What has God revealed to us. And so I think it's just important as we're moving forward that we understand that. Because here's the thing. When you understand the revelation of God, the will of God in Scripture, then a lot of other things begin to work themselves out as you understand that more fully. And I just think it's important to note that. Now, a couple of things that really helped me many years ago, I used to give it to all seniors when they graduated high school. It was a book called Found God's Will by John MacArthur. And what he did was he would go into the New Testament and look for the places where it says, this is the will of God. Now, I'll just give you a couple of those just this morning. One, the will of God is that you would be saved. So there's an element to where we would say, look, this is the will of God. When He brings someone to Himself, He is doing so by His will. So we would pray for the salvation of people. Jesus came to save us. And so one of the things is we would call everybody everywhere to repent and believe the Gospel. Another thing about the will of God is that we would walk by the Spirit or be Spirit-filled. The Scripture says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the will of God that we would do so. Another thing that we see, the Scripture speaks of the will of God is our sanctification, growing in holiness. This is the will of God for you, that you would grow in holiness and turn away from sin. There are just many more, but I'll just go mention a few more. Another one is that we would be submissive to those in authority over us. This is the will of God. And Peter, he speaks of that, that we would be submissive to those in authority over us. Another thing about the will of God, you know, when, when Paul writes and he says that you would suffer for the sake of Christ, all of these are, are kind of clear, distinct times where you see the will of God spoken of. Now, are there other things? Yes, the Bible is filled with the will of God what He wants for us, how we are interact with Him. Another thing we see Paul's thanksgiving, he says that we should say thanks in everything. This is the will of God for you. So there's this element to where that when you understand <clears throat> those things, John MacArthur speaks about this and he says, then whatever's left over is do whatever you want kind of thing. If you really embody these things, Psalms 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When you are aligned with God, when you are aligned with His will, 
when you are aligned with His Word, when you long for those things to be true of you, then all you have left over is this, that you do what you, you desire to do as you've gone closer to the Lord. You want His heart. You want those things. You want to pursue things for the right reason. And so I think there is an element to where we have to say at the end of the day, there will probably not be handwriting on the wall. You have to do what you think is best according to the will of God that you know. So just kind of say that to say, I think it's important that we understand that as we're moving forward. Now, notice what else he says. That they would be filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is important. I'm telling you, there are things in here I just think this is so powerful. Why? Because some people can win Bible trivia. There are some people here in this church that are so smart about the Bible and they know it. You think that's true? Maybe. They know stuff and sometimes there's pride kind of grows in their heart or maybe they have this theological understanding at times where you just kind of have this tendency to think that that is Christianity. What Christianity adds up to is this, that you just know a lot of Bible trivia and that we should just get together and see who can beat one another in the game of Bible trivia. You ever been in a Bible study like that? It's like, are you serious? I mean, is that what this is about? Now here's the thing, spiritual wisdom and understanding is taking the Bible, the truths of the Bible, the theological truths of God's Word and bringing them down to the ground floor where the rubber meets the road, right? And so wisdom, wisdom in the Christian life is taking those truths and helping and walking in those through every single day of your life. There are people who are very wise in the world who are maybe 60, 70 years old. They're extremely wise, but they are, do not have spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is something as you learn God's Word and you apply it to your life in obedience, you're walking in that, then you grow in wisdom. That's what we want here. Not that you are a scholar in the Bible in the sense that it does not attach to your life. We want it to be actually a part of all that you are and everything that you do and all of your attitudes and actions. This would be true of you. Now here's something that's important. We do our church. Our church life is not this. Hey, let's put all the kids together, all the youth together, all the single adults together, all the married adults together, all the seniors together. Let's do that. We don't do that. Why? Because we believe that at every stage of life, people are growing. And we always need someone that's maybe gone a little further than we have. So that what we would say is we kind of take an approach where we try to do a lot of things together so that the younger child could know someone older than them. They could have a spiritual grandparent, a spiritual uncle, a spiritual aunt. They could have so many people at so many different stages of life. And we do this for some who have grown older in the faith and they know the Lord that they would, they would not grow introverted, but they would reach out to the younger and help them grow. That's the pattern you see all throughout Scripture. We are learning to take what we learn and put it onto the ground floor and live it out in this life. And we need people that model that and we need people who have learned to live in that. And that's really important to us. Now turn to Romans chapter 12 real quick. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
We are filled, again, praying that they be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. After Paul has spent an enormous amount of time in chapters 1 through 11 unpacking these enormous, I mean, doctrinal points that are so astonishing, this is where we end up. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now here's the thing. Paul is then going to begin to deal with issues in chapters 12 through 16 that unpack how to live out what they've just learned. It's very practical in nature from this point onward in the Scripture. They renew their mind in truth, and then they have to learn how to test and approve by wisdom how to live out this life. The Bible is, again, there are so many truths there, but sometimes you have to learn to apply those truths, and the Bible couldn't address every situation you find yourself in. Paul addresses some and helps you understand how to deal with this. How to deal with someone who's treated you in a poor way. That's what's going to happen in chapter 12. How to love each other as a body of Christ. It's going to move forward. All of this tied back to God's revelation of what He's accomplished through His Son in giving His life for us. So it's just important we would say that. I think it's important that we know that. Wisdom and spiritual wisdom and understanding is what it means to be filled with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God when we understand that to be filled with these things is not is not primarily just my mind it is my mind it is my heart it is my hands it is how i influence people around me the knowledge of god is something in which you all walk in obedience to the will of god revealed so that others around you experience what it means to live the christian life as they observe your life is that cool? Does that make sense? You want to say, is that cool? It means like, yeah, that's cool. I understand. I got that. Y'all got that? All right, let's keep going. Next thing as we're moving forward. In verse 10, as we're moving through this passage, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. The purpose of Paul's petition is that believers would be pleasing to their Lord. Right? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be pleasing to Him. Now, what we're going to find out is because why would we want to do that? It's because of what He's done for us. We know that to be true. But I was thinking about this this last week. Has anybody ever raised your hand if you read The Call of the Wild? How many? Oh my goodness, like a few people. Oh, In the seventh grade, I read it and I was like, oh, I love reading. And then I forgot and then didn't read anymore. But I picked books back up later and I'm proud to say that I actually read The Call of the Wild this week and I'm thankful for that. But as I was reading it, if you've read it, you, there's a main character. It's a dog. His name is Buck. And he's a St. Bernard. And he was stolen from his home in California. And he was taken and sold into this, uh, really, to go work on the Yukon Trail. And he was going to be a sled dog. And that's what he became. And he travels along. And he has all of these masters. And the initial person that he has as a master, he was somewhat like nice to him. There was respect and honor and, and, and all those things that he had in the initial person in California. Then as he goes forward, there's this one guy that beats him within an inch of his life, 
And he didn't, he just, the reason that he obeyed him was out of fear. And then he has another person that he has there, and he just starts to enjoy the work, and so he likes being a sled dog, and so he's really not doing, his obedience is not out of anything other than just because he's enjoying it. And then the final, or next to the last person is someone that's so goofy that they almost kill him and he almost starves to death. Now, then he meets a man who when he was about to be beaten to death by this foolish, foolish handler, came up and said, if you touch that dog one more time, I'm going to kill you. And he cut Buck out of the traces, and he fed him, and he raised him up, and got him healthy, and all this kind of stuff. And what you see in this is Buck had known how to respect someone out of fear. He respected because he just enjoyed it. But in the book, it makes it so clear that he did what he did for the owner because he loved him. He said that, that there was such a love he had never experienced in his whole life. One time his owner stands at the edge of a cliff and says, Buck, jump off. And as he's about to bolt off, he grabs him and catches him. Buck would, would have plunged to his death on many occasions for his master. I think one of the things we see in this, you say, Jared, why are you telling me that story? One of the reasons that, we see in the, that what we see in this is that there would be such an overwhelming love for Jesus because of what He's done for you that every moment of your life would be spent in saying, how might I please Him? Not because of me getting in some kind of good graces with Him. Not so that I can achieve my salvation, but out of gratitude for what He's done for me, the love of Christ then would constrain me to live for Him. Everything in my being would want to be pleasing to Him. Whatever He wanted, I would do. That would be the heart, and that is what we are praying for, praying for in this moment, to be filled with the knowledge of God that every moment and every aspect of my life would be pleasing to my Lord. The third thing you see, and just kind of important as we're moving through this, that Paul begins to reveal to us what does it mean to live a life worthy of the Lord or live a life that is pleasing to God what are some of the characteristics of that some of you might say I want to know how to live the Christian life well here's some of the things that Paul is praying that would be true of their life one he says bearing fruit in every good work what does it mean to bear fruit you know we could talk about attitudes and actions the scripture says the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control there are things like that where you say what does it mean to be pleasing to the lord it means that i would be so filled with the spirit that love and patience and kindness and gentleness towards one another and towards people around me would just overflow out of my life that would be one aspect. Another aspect of that is the actions. I come to worship regularly. I seek to understand the Bible. I'm serving other people. I'm treating my wife or husband kindly. All those things are examples of what it means to do every good work. I'm serving those who need someone to help them. I'm seeking to minister as I come to this church every Sunday. Whatever it may be, there's those kinds of things that are coming to us. So the first thing would be, you would say Christians bear fruit. That's what he's praying for. The second one is they grow in the knowledge of God. And so there is this longing to know Him, but listen again, to obediently know Him, to walk in obedience to what He reveals, to sit here this morning and say, Lord, as You have spoken, so I will do. May this be true of me. 
what we learn here today. May I be a prayerful person for others. The third thing you see, that they would be strengthened so as to display great endurance and patience. What what is going on there, He wants to see in them, and what He's praying for them is that in the midst of suffering, listen, the Christian life, some of you, I hope you're aware of this, and I know you probably are, that the Christian life is not easy. One, because of the sin within, some without the sin without, all the things going on around us, it is oftentimes difficult. And listen, some people are really good at living the Christian life for like 30 minutes or an hour and a half on Sunday, right? You say, well, I could be really cool and like be real nice to people for that little bit of time. I get to shake hands and say, how are you doing? I, I get that. I understand that. But he's saying the endurance. It's the idea of running a race. You, the Christian life is a marathon, and there's a difficulty sometimes, even in the midst of suffering with joy and patience overflowing. Or, listen, sometimes you feel like suffering is when you go home and there's trials there. Or you go to work on money and there are trials there. And in the midst of that, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God, obediently following Him, keeping your face before the Lord and Savior who gave Himself to he, you, and He, well, you want to be pleasing to Him in every respect. And the last thing we'll see here is Christians give thanks to the Father. They are overflowing with thanksgiving. In a world that is so self-absorbed, we rarely hear people say, I'm so thankful to God. Sometimes we are so want Him to give us more. We want more of this, more of that. We want all these different things. And He is saying, they are filled with thanksgiving. One of the ways that you know you're filled with the knowledge of God is you are filled with thanksgiving for what He has done for you and what He's doing in your life. Notice what it says. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You ever been disqualified? I think about the, the Olympics are coming up and swimmers. I always think it's so interesting when they get there and they're getting ready and the horn goes off and people get disqualified and you think, good night, what did they do wrong? I mean, there's just this one little instance where they disqualify themselves. Or maybe you've applied for a job and they said you're not qualified to do that. Or sometimes for reasons, different reasons, you're disqualified to work in particular places or to do certain things. The Bible in the spiritual realm, you know what you're qualified on your own to do? You're qualified on your own to go to hell. Do you know that? You're, you're qualified to spend eternity in hell. You are qualified to be eternally uh, under the curse and the wrath of God. That's what you qualify for. When you stand before the presence of God on your own, that's what you get. You want your job, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But that's not what the Scripture says here. It says those who've come to Christ, they've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What's the inheritance? It's an inheritance that will never fade away. It's an inheritance that you will be with the Lord forever. You are transferred into His kingdom of His beloved Son. And He, notice what it says, gave His life for you so that you could qualify for that. That is the most important thing in the whole world that you would ever want to qualify for is to be with the Lord and to know Him and to be forgiven of sin and to spend eternity in heaven with Him. You've been transferred from being a slave in this darkness to bring, being in to the, I mean, with the children of God as a child of light. All of those things. That's an astonishing thing that we see here. Christians give thanks for that. 
They're overwhelmed by the glorious blessing of God. So the question this morning is, are we seeking to be filled with the knowledge of God? Do you come here week after week or as you get set alone by yourself and say, Lord, I want to walk in wisdom. I want to know your word. I want to walk in that. I want to walk in the power of that. I want to walk in the spirit of that. Not just the letter of the law, but I want my heart to be filled with wisdom. I want to want good and solid things. Is the purpose in that so that people would see you? Or is the purpose is so that I could be pleasing to my Lord who gave himself for me? But not only that, it's not just so personal. Paul is praying this for others. Are you praying, oh God, this person in our church, make them filled with the knowledge of God. Make them know Him. Make them know Him in an experiential way. May they grow in godliness and grow in their pursuit of being a people that know the Lord and walk with Him. What would it look like in your life if you begin to walk more faithfully in this? What would it look like in this church if you would pray to the Lord to give, give that uh, to be the heart of this church? What would it look like if we were so transformed by the knowledge of God and living to be pleasing to Christ? It would look like the things that we've mentioned. And I just encourage you today that you would pray that God would make this church a church filled with the knowledge of God, seeking to please Jesus in every respect, giving thanks to the Father for all that He's done. I ask that you do that this morning. As we conclude, I'm going to give you a moment to do so. If you would just bow with me. Would you ask that of the Lord this morning? Maybe think of those sitting around you or those who maybe are not here. Would you pray for those around the world, some that you might have met or maybe you haven't? that they might persevere in their trials and walk faithfully to the, with the Lord. Would you pray for some today who may be here who have never believed the Gospel? They're not qualified. They are in a desperate condition. Would you pray that God would cause them to be filled with the knowledge of God? Would you pray for a neighbor, co-worker? Father, we ask You that You would pull us outside of ourselves and cause us to long to see a people filled with Your Word, obediently following all that You've called us to. Doing it with joy because we want to please our Lord who died and gave His life so that we could be saved. Maybe we'd be filled with thanksgiving for what He has done. Father, for those who are here today who've never known that they are in a desperate condition, that they need to be rescued from Your coming wrath, that they need to be saved by Your power, that they need to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. I pray that You would confront their hearts and turn them to You.
In Christ's name, amen.